Welcome to the Kelly Patrick Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. In today's episode, I am joined by Brian Fox. Brian is a Louisville resident, Louisville, Kentucky, of course, who is very passionate about his uh, liberty-centric and Mises Caucus uh, beliefs. I would say he's a very principled person when it comes to the message of liberty. Really appreciate him coming on. Second time he's joined me for an episode. I think it went very well today. Once again, uh, the episode was recorded today, which is Saturday, May 14th, 2022. We talk about all things in the world of the liberty movement or libertarian party. I really appreciate you tuning in. If you are a fan of the Kelly Patrick Show, I ask that you please send some referrals the way of my sponsors. The title sponsor of the show is Louisville Combat Academy, located at 7908 Beulah Church Road, Louisville, Kentucky, 40228. They have a great MMA program, but also, even if you aren't planning on fighting in the cage, they have a great jiu-jitsu program for adults, female-friendly classes, and a great kids program also. Check out Louisville Combat Academy. Heidi Solars Coots. Heidi is a licensed clinical social worker and licensed clinical alcohol and drug counselor, specializing in treating anxiety, depression, trauma, and addiction with a mindful and holistic approach. Heidi is actually my mother, and I can attest she is a saint. Call her at 502-457-1823. Virtual and telephonic appointments are available anywhere in the United States. Veercast Digital Media. Veercast Digital Media at veercast.com. Matt McCarthy runs Veercast, and he is also the producer for The Kelly Patrick Show. They do video production, aerial drone photography, web design, and podcast production. Contact them at info at veercast.com to start your own video show or podcast. Also, my health insurance practice, Benefits Analysis Corporation. Based in Troy, Ohio, I work from my Louisville, Kentucky office. I can help anyone in the United States with their health insurance needs. I'm an independent broker for health insurance solutions for individuals, families, Medicare-eligible individuals, and also groups. I can also write life insurance, and long-term care. If you want to support the podcast, please send me some referrals. 502-386-0978. I am joined in studio today by Brian Fox. Brian and I are going to review some relevant, recent, uh, libertarian or liberty-centric themed uh, topics of conversation. Brian, how are you today? Doing great, man. Thanks uh, for having me back. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on. I think you're a, a, a good wealth of knowledge when it comes to the, the world of liberty. You've been involved in this longer than I have. I'm, as I've said before, I was radicalized through corona. And I would argue if you weren't, like, what the fuck are you doing? I would say a lot of red pilling has happened over the last two years. Even people who are not liberty-minded are now more aware and understanding of why we are the way we are about our approach to government. I hope. I try. <laughs> Some of And I'm- unfortunately, there's been a lot of libertarians who've gone the exact opposite. They're like, oh, yeah, we need to follow the science and do what the experts say because that's what's good and proper, completely embracing the establishment as opposed to sticking to their principles. Would you say those people were ever actually libertarians? 
That's a great question, and I would say that especially in regards to the uh, former chairman, there's Nick, a lot Nicholas of Sarwar. Nick Sarwar, correct? Um, was he ever a good libertarian? No. Okay, so I, that's what I mean. I would say that a lot of these people fall into the. It's ironic that you asked me this because I was actually thinking about it on the way over here. A lot of people within the liberty camp are more or less disenfranchised socialists and liberals who don't feel comfortable within the Democrat Party. Which is fair. Because right? the, the Democrat yeah. Party is, if, if you are an ideological socialist, Democrat Party will humor you. You're right. And then they'll fuck you over. So I get it. But some, you should join the Green Party, in my opinion. Yeah. And there's some aspects of our movement that do appeal to the left. Sure. So to the right. So foreign policy. Yes. So it's like, you know, it's not, that's why we can appeal to some of these people rightfully. The problem is the Libertarian Party, the leadership for the last several years, has been very left of center orientated f from over many things. And while I don't really feel it should be left or right, I do believe they have intentionally gone towards the left. And there are some people within the liberty movement who have actually claimed that they know firsthand that that was intentional. That mm. it wasn't just as a matter of happenstance, that it was an intentional effort to move towards the left. Okay, so if someone's tuning in, I always try to treat each episode as if some random MMA fan was listening, which is, you know, hopefully on occasion actually happening. But in 1971, the United States had trouble honoring some of their currency they had, they had uh, printed. Mm -hmm. They're like, oh, fuck, we got ourselves in over our head. And so they went off the, officially, I think they went off the gold standard. Correct. Nixon. Okay. And, and at that time, a new party came into existence. Okay, it was called the Libertarian Party. It was created in 1971 by David Nolan in Westminster. And there's actually an there's actually an argument that even as early as the 30s, upon the creation of the Federal Reserve, that's when we really just the whole idea of the gold standard kind of went out the window. Mm. That our currency kind of started becoming meaningless. Yeah, I know. I've seen that we actually went off the gold standard way back then too. Yeah, it was a matter of practicality, but not officially. It was gotcha. officially in the 70s, but it was more of a matter of practice. And once the federal, so basically under central banking, so for people who don't Yeah, know, yeah, treat it as if someone's intelligent correct. listening, but they have no idea what I, the Federal Reserve even is when, or what currency even means. So for me- I'm not really what you would call a very smart person. I understand basic concepts and I put them together pretty well, but that's about it. There's a lot of people that are better educated in the technical aspects of these concepts that could explain it better to me. But basically, central baking is the idea that everything is on the books as opposed to just the hard cash, the commodities. So for them, it's all about I can make the numbers work on the balance sheet, even if in, in reality, I don't have the actual money, the gold to back up what I'm saying I have. So in the 30s, with the creation of the Federal Reserve, they started creating more money. They actually started creating money that wasn't actually backed, so therefore it wasn't real. That's where we started losing our value in a very layman's simplistic way to look at it. Interesting. So I'm not 100% on that. In fact, I may have uh, completely butchered that, but uh, that's the way that I understand it. So... Great Depression was in 19, between 1929 and 1939. Basically, our, our country experienced uh, an economic downturn. 
there's a hundred other people that could explain this better to me. This is not my wheelhouse. No, nor is it not mine. Yeah. But who yeah. knows? This yeah. may reach out to someone. Right. Right. So basically, it's not very difficult for someone, if you have any intelligence whatsoever, to hear, well, the Federal Reserve is, is putting our country into $30 trillion of debt, and they're printing new money every day. And so therefore, we're experiencing inflation. Yes. If you can't wrap your head around that today then you are brain dead. So the, so the best takeaway for a lot of people in regards to this subject matter is to realize the more money you create that is not actually backed is basically monopoly money. There's very little or to no, well, there's value, but it's minimal value compared to what it used to be. So the more we spent, the more we create, the less value it has because it's a watered down version of the original money that was created when it was originally backed by gold so that's the best way to look at it as far as i understand not my wheelhouse again so i really don't want to go into it the way that i would explain it from a from a broader public approach what people need to know is what the libertarian party stands for at least what most libertarians stand for especially the mises caucus is we're all about fiscal sanity now there's a lot of different approaches to that but the main thing is Stop the spending, you know, um, uh, roll back the taxes, and just try to manage a budget the way anybody else would. That's a good start. It doesn't necessarily going to cure everything, and it's certainly not going to fix all the other problems, but that's a good start. It's just to manage a budget and to drastically slash spending and to drastically slash taxes and fees and everything else. You do a lot of that, we're on at least the right track. And that's what I think most people can appreciate is the fact that right now the government is a very irresponsible teenager with a credit card without a limit. I was literally getting ready to say a, a, a very easy to digest uh, um, parallel would be imagine you are a 18-year-old and you just now got your first credit card and your family has a little money, but they're not stupid. They're smart. They've been working for many years and maybe even a little generational wealth. But you don't quite grasp the way to handle money and to grow money and to grow your net worth and things like that. So you get a credit card and you're like, oh, I'm going to buy it. Fuck, I'm going to buy a nice new Lexus because look, they said I can. And then you have a $600 monthly payment and you're living with your parents. And then you're like, well, I don't want to live with my parents. I'm a loser. So you go out and you rent a, a nice apartment that's $1,400 a month. And you, you, you have a good job too at 18 somehow. You're making 50000 a year. And I th so you're still broke. And then you, you just keep going further and further down this hole. And then to make up for all those mistakes, you have to even go further into debt. And eventually you had this amazing opportunity, but you fucked it all up. And I think the bigger issue to consider is maybe at one point they were sincerely trying to straddle the line between something that resembles responsibility and not getting too crazy with spending but we're well past that point and we're at the point now where it's like for at least the last 30, maybe even 40 years, it is intentional debt to where people know. And when I mean people, I mean the elected officials that are doing this in Congress and the Senate and the president, they know they're putting us and our future generations on the hook. They don't care. They're not going to be around for it. What they are doing is they are consolidating power via spending that they will never be held to account for. Never. And they know it. Okay. So why should they care? Because it doesn't matter to them. What matters to them 
is the short-term benefits of power and personal enrichment. Okay. So that was the beginning of the Libertarian Party, 1971. Fast forward to 2022. We've had many years of ups and downs within the liberty movement. I would say most famously, 1988, Ron Paul ran for president as a libertarian. Um, I was born in 83, so I had no idea what the hell was going on. Once again, this is all pretty new to me, but he's kind of the face for a lot of people of, of the Libertarian Party. He got a little bit of fame. He ended up running again in 2008 as a Republican and also in 2012, also as a Republican. Then his son Rand uh, ran in 2016 and 2010, all that. Initially 2010. Okay. Yeah, I was there for the uh, Tea Party rally in Louisville when he was actually showed up for that for his campaign in 2010. For, for 2010, for him to run for Senate. Correct. Okay, yeah, for Senate. But he ran for president in 2016. Correct. Yes, correct. Oh, yes, for president. Um, okay. So, there's always been a little bit, uh, admittedly, people associate libertarians more so with the Republican Party than the Liber- than the Democrat Party, correct? Correct, yes. Okay, so they've kind of been going back and forth. People would, you know, you'd have uh, Bill Weld, or um, Gary Johnson, who were Republican governors. And I think there's... They would run as libertarians and then switch back. I think the reason why it's easier for people to associate Republican types or conservative types with the libertarian movement is because the the first principles of liberty are more in line with conservatives in terms of limited government, personal responsibility, and fiscal sanity. uh, Those... Tenants right there, among others, are pretty, I would say, for the most part, are pretty common to a lot of conservative Republican types. Now, to different degrees, of course, but for the most part, those are very common. Now, you look on the left, not so much. Now, what does the left have in common with the Libertarian Party? You know, as far as like a decriminalization. Uh, just oh, okay, so there are similarities to the left. So, yes, absolutely. So, uh, decriminalization, uh, justice reform, uh, reined in foreign policy. Those are the three big ones on the left. Okay. Um, so, yes, there but, are. But, but in theory, foreign policy. True, of course. Well, <laughs> Obama, right? He was well, a. Yeah. He had the same foreign well, policy. Obama I, has the same foreign policy as Ron Paul. I think we're getting to the point now where it's actually less of a left versus right on war and more of an establishment versus a populist approach and realizing these wars don't actually be- benefit anybody except for the establishment, the ruling class, who actually becomes enriched by all this. I love how often it's repeated now. 10, I think, uh, I may be butchering this stat, 10 of the 13 wealthiest counties in yep. the United States are where? Yeah, right there in Virginia, D.C. area. Hmm, what should we think of that? Does that mean they're producing and, and, and things? That, and that's what actually Dave Smith was saying. I believe it was Dave Smith that said that just recently on that podcast roundtable, which is they don't create anything there. So where's all that money coming from? How is that being, you know, how is all that money being accumulated? Well, because that's where all the wealthy people within the military industrial complex, the ruling class, the legislative people, the policy people, the lobbyists, that's where they all live. In their families. And they're, exactly. they're all connected. They're like, oh, exactly. coincidentally, let's buy a bunch of stock of Raytheon or whatever it is. And then we're going to go to war and voila, you're rich. Yes, correct. Um, okay. So, although there are similarities to a traditional leftist, more so associated, libertarian parties more so associated with the Republican Party. Um, uh, 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 modern day, 2022, a couple of the 
issues that are occurring. First off, the Libertarian Party, as you said, in recent years has been more associated with the left. For some reason, Nicholas Sarwark, even Joe Jorgensen, who I voted for in 2016, I'm sorry, in 2020, she was more associated with being a leftist and even more so over time. Uh, the Mises Caucus is slowly working, and I think on May 25th of this month. The 26th, I believe. I'm sorry, 26th, 26th there will be a meeting, a Libertarian National Convention in Reno, Nevada, and hopefully Angela McCardle will be appointed to the... Or will be will be uh, voted in as... I'm sorry, not LNC, appointed. LNC, the chair. The chair. Position. So that would mean, then, that they are positioning themselves for the Mises Caucus to take over. Less of a woke, pussy uh, version of the Libertarian Party, more of a uh, Ron Paul. Ron Paul will yes. be there. Yes, <laughs> correct. Ron Paul will and be I, there. And I think it's important to distinguish that while there are there is a lot of carryover with the right in terms of our approach to limited government. It's just as much on the left as well. I mean, we're all for, you know, decriminalization for justice reform for, and, you know, reigning in the wars for leaving people alone. That stuff's still there. We just don't emphasize it in the same way because we feel like there's a lot of bigger issues. Now we'll say this, the drug war is a big deal. Uh, Justice reform is a big deal. And I think that over the last two years, especially in regards to the lockdowns, we've made it clear how big of a deal that is and why that's so important. And we've been taking on, you know, issues regarding police, you know, basically saying, hey, like, let's reconsider how this, you know, police hero worship goes, because these are the people that have been enforcing the very lockdowns and mandates that have been ruining everybody's lives. As last I checked, that's not exactly what I would consider to be a winning issue for right-wingers. So we're definitely standing true on principle. It just so happens that a lot of what we believe in and what we've been championing are just inherently a little bit more closely aligned to the right. But there's definitely a lot more that we can pick fights on as well, especially the military. I mean, we don't really necessarily hate the military, but we absolutely hate the military structure you know, the Defense Department, the contractors, the lobbyists, all those people involved, you know, it is absolutely accessible. And we would love to bring all the troops home, not because we hate America, not because we don't want to defend America, but we just have a different view on what defense should look like. And it doesn't have anything to do with sending carrier groups and thousands of troops overseas. It has nothing to do with that whatsoever. So one of the two most recent uh, issues would be the potential for a, a shift within the official Libertarian Party. This is the third largest political party in the country. A shift from the Nicholas Sarwark-led, more woke, leftist version to an Angela McArdle-led Mises Caucus version. Okay, that's one. Mm-hmm. Another, and you correct me if I'm wrong, is many Libertarians call themselves Libertarians, or maybe they don't even care about calling themselves Libertarians. But they think it's silly to vote libertarian and to, to identify yourself as a part of that movement because you're not going to win. Let's be honest. Dave Smith's not going to win in 2024. You don't think that. I don't think that. Nobody really thinks it. But that's in, not why they're running anyway. So. Okay. Yeah, correct. Um, but someone such as Mark Clare, who I will be interviewing Monday, two days from now. Um, recently, Mark Clare is a podcast host, one of the older podcast hosts in the world of the liberty movement, uh, Lions of Liberty, he created with a couple of his buddies who went to Penn State. 
Um, and he has hosted debates for Dave Smith against the woke uh, libertarians and things, all sorts of things. He's very involved. He announced just a couple days ago or a few days ago, I'm sure you saw it, um, that he is... And did you listen to his podcast where he described it? I have not. Okay. Where he basically is not sold on the Mises Caucus being the solution. He's not a... He's not a woke libertarian. I mean, that would be laughable to say, oh, that means he likes Joe Jorgensen and, and uh, those guys. So instead, there's the Mises Caucus, there's the Nicholas Sarwark woke-led uh, version of the Libertarian Party. Then there's a group of libertarians like Pete Quinones. So you're talking about the post-libertarian movement. Post-libertarian movement would be what it's so called. So the best way I can address that, because I don't really keep up with a lot of those personalities, and to be quite honest with you, I don't really care to. Fair. I'm familiar with them, but I'm not, I don't follow them. And I would just say this. The main difference between us and them is we take an all of the above approach, whereas they tend to be a little bit more sort of pessimistic in terms of, well, we don't think you're really going to be very viable, so we don't really think that you should be taken too seriously or even be supported. Whereas we're kind of like, hey, every approach that we can take, that the, that the liberty movement as a whole can take to advance the cause of liberty Thumbs up. We're cool with it. It's like it's going to take an all-hands-on-deck approach. Okay. And I think that's the one thing that I wish more people who are liberty-minded, more people who are against the establishment should recognize is that, look, there are so few of us. It's going to take all of us, all of our efforts combined in some way to push back against this monster of an establishment that wants to crush us and enslave us all. And we don't have a problem, per se, with anybody who wants to take a different path. We may not necessarily support it in terms of advocate for you, but we have no problem with what you want to do, like, say, for Pete Quinones, someone who wants to pursue agorism, someone who wants to just try a parallel or a different system. Cool. Do your thing and sure. see what happens. We're not it. enemies. Exactly. But and you know what? And People are free to, you know, promote and advocate. That's cool. We have no problem with that. All we're saying is, is don't shit on us. Don't talk shit about us. Sure. Just, you know, do your thing. And then whoever gets to the finish line first, great. So basically, my understanding is guys like Pete Canonas, Mark Clare, and many others, is they may philosophically agree basically with the same platforms you and I do. They believe in the essence of live and let live and just enjoy personal freedom. And Same thing we do. The difference is we want to use the Libertarian Party platform. We being Mises Caucus members. Correct. Okay. Want to use the platform as a way to spread the message in a way that it has not been spread before since Ron Paul. Okay. That's the goal. The Libertarian Party for years has been more or less a pet of the establishment. And that's putting it generously. A pet? A pet of the establishment. They've been friendly towards the establishment. Mm. Gary Johnson got a record number of votes. Votes don't really matter a whole lot because ultimately, as we saw, you know, you didn't get membership, you didn't get enthusiasm, you didn't get groundwork support, and honestly, all you really got was people who just didn't like Trump and thought Hillary was, you know, a monster. So that's exact. That's kind of like a low bar to surpass. So for us, it's more or less about, hey, look, we are not here to say that we have the perfect answer. 
We're here to say this is one approach to try to share and grow the movement, to share the message and make the movement larger so that eventually, yes, we can have more than just a voice. We can have an effect. Mm -hmm. Now, however that results, we'll have to wait and see. Smarter people involved, i.e., you know, Michael Heiss, Angela McCardle, other people who were involved, they have more of an insights to strategies and politics to where they can work that. I, uh, I think one thing that I bring to the table, or at least one thing that I feel like I can offer, is an end-user perspective. I'm sorry, an end-user? Yes. When I say that, I mean the person who's at the very bottom or at the very end of everything else. Like, I came in just hearing about a lot of this stuff. Mm. I'm not a person who's, like, overly active and involved and deep in the trenches. I'm just kind of the guy that's on the other side of the keyboard that's hearing a lot of this stuff and thinking, okay, this is cool. I will support it. In, eth- in essence, I'm the kind of person that they are targeting, or I was. That they are targeting. Yes, correct. I, I, can, I can speak to the perspective of the average guy that's just kind of cruising through life, doing his thing and thinking, oh, what's this liberty thing all about? Okay. That's where I came from. Well, that's great. So I feel like I can relate to the casual sort, as, we would say, as you would say in MMA, the casuals. Sure. I can relate to that because I don't consider myself to be and a policy nerd. I don't consider myself to be a political nerd. I consider myself to be just someone who's passionate and curious, and I tune in. So from that perspective, I can see the merits of the Mises Caucus because they are trying to advance a very simple and practical, consistent message of just liberty. Not necessarily liberty right, liberty left, or anything else. We're not pushing any pet causes. All we're trying to say is the government is fucking nuts, and we need to find a way to fix this before we all end up either dead or enslaved. That's kind of the essence of where we're coming from. Okay. Before we continue... If Dave Smith runs as the presidential candidate in 2024 and Rand Paul happens to be the Republican candidate. It won't happen. Okay. In theory. I think you would find that, uh, first of all... Who would, you, who would you vote for is what I'm asking. <sighs> who would I vote for? Rand Paul, as a Republican, would have a stronger likelihood of winning, right? I get, I, my guess is this. Here's what would happen. It's not who would I vote for. If Rand Paul ran as the candidate and he actually is as he has been lately pushing his libertarian principles and not like a watered down kind of republican liberty message which he still does to some degree i mean he he will dependent on the situation if we're not in crisis mode if if he runs his if he were if he were to run as president the same way he did in 2016 dave smith by a mile okay if he runs more in the vein of his father sure Dave Smith, I would imagine, would even say, hey, look, Rand Paul's a great guy, and I think he's doing good work. Sure. And I don't think think he would be a I think it'd be very amicable campaign. He would not be directly attacking Rand Paul if Rand Paul were running a truly liberty-centric campaign. If he were running a more traditional Republican campaign, I think Dave Smith would be within his rights to run on principle and respectfully call him out. And sure. I would support Dave Smith accordingly. Um, I attended a Rand Paul event a few weeks ago, something like three weeks ago maybe. And 
he gave a speech and it was like he was speaking to my wife. It was a United. It's like if you're going to give us a, uh, a softball, throw Rand Paul a softball at a Republican convention where he's promoting himself for senator, you start lashing out against socialism, which is cool. I don't, you know, I I, I think that the idea of running for office is fascinating, but he just killed it. And he just talked about how socialism's horrible and this and that. And reality, if it was Ron Paul, he may have said socialism, but also fascism. And, you know, shit, Rand was specifically demonizing the left, which is cool, I get it. But he also embraced a pro-police platform. So it's almost like Rand Paul is taking the strategy of what's most important, what's going to fuck up my ability to continue to be in the Senate. I'm going to embrace this. I'm going to drop that, you know, that type deal. So I'm not, I'm not even being critical because if he, Rand Paul wasn't, wasn't in Senate right now, I don't know who'd be grilling the people for this, uh, this truth administration or, or the, over COVID who growled Fauci better, no one or Ukraine or, or anything. So I'm happy as hell he's in the Senate I'm not knocking him, but his stance on the police, Mitch McConnell was there at the event. So, I mean. So, think about it like this. Nobody's going to be perfect. Um, Thomas Massey, who I think is quite possibly even more so than Rand Paul, been the more consistent liberty type. And even he embraces the police. Sure. I, I will even go on. I will even go so far as to say, I don't assume conservatives should turn their back on the institutions of police. I would rather them understand what the problems of police are and then say, Hey, look, we need to reform police. I don't expect them just to do a 180 because they, you know, these people don't share the mindset that we do as to what is wrong with police. I don't hate police. And I don't think most libertarians necessarily hate police we just hate the institution of police. We all agree that we need a secure, a peacekeeping security force. We just prefer it to be done privately and to be more accountable. Policing by the state as is, is corrupt. It is evil. And I have a real big problem with it, but I understand why people like Thomas Massey and Rand Paul continue to support it because they're coming from a different point of view. Okay. All right. So moving on. One of the biggest assets for Dave Smith, not only is he fucking funny, he cusses. I, I know that sounds silly and petty to some. I don't care. He's funny. And, and you're, you're a guy, I'm a guy. Behind closed doors, what percentage of males, if you crack some somewhat inappropriate jokes behind closed doors, they're going to fucking laugh. It's funny. Enjoy your life. Who fucking cares? He's a good dad, I bet. He's a good guy. That's the shit that matters. Actually have a fucking sense of humor. So Dave Smith's funny. He's very persuasive. And he happens to be friends with guys like Tim Pool and Joe Rogan. So that's a huge asset, right? Um, on a recent podcast episode, just a few weeks ago, on the PBD podcast, Patrick Bet David, an Iranian guy, he interviewed Joe Jorgensen. I don't know why. Did you see that? I, I've heard about it. I just heard them talking. You heard about some it. probably some audio clips from it. Correct. Um, and um, he, Patrick Bet David, was trying to learn more about the Libertarian Party. He's from Iran. He's very anti-communism, very sharp guy. And he was talking to her, and she just came across. I watched the whole thing twice. She just came across not very good. 
She looked like some it, people said she seemed drunk. I heard I like heard, she had a couple I glasses she, of wine. I heard she came across as very ignorant, very bitter, sure, very sour. Yeah, uh, someone who was not very charismatic. Nope. Someone who just seemed like that they had just literally just been thrown away from life and just had no real enthusiasm about it. Was depressed. Wasn't yes. very passionate about the topic exactly. of liberty. And as a reminder, Joe, Dr. Joe Jorgensen, a professor at Clemson University in South Carolina, is who I voted for in 2020. You also? As did, yes. Okay. And I'm proud to have voted for her still just because I do think that helps. I know it sounds silly to some. She got like 1.4% of the total votes, something like that, very low. But this Patrick guy interviewed her. And on the podcast, she came across just like shit. But in particular, she was critical of Dave Smith. But Patrick, that David, grilled her and said to her a couple things like, who have you debated? Have you ever debated someone? Did you see that part? Have you, have you ever debated someone? She's like, uh, I think in 96, when I was a vice presidential candidate, I, I debated someone. Yeah, I debated a socialist or something. In 96, and he's like, what? You know, he's very principled interviewer. I mean, he's not, he's, I'm way more of a pussy when it comes to interviewing people than him. And he was like, that does not sound good. He was just telling her, that does not sound good. Well, George Orenson's campaign, along with so much else about the LP, is just further evidence that the LP has really, how shall we say, lost its path or meaning in terms of what it really should stand for and just more or less became sort of a distraction for establishment types. Um, I don't really know a whole lot about Joe Jorgensen. I never really followed her very closely. I will just say this. Based on what I've heard from other people talk about her, what I witnessed her from the campaign or the lack thereof, she was really just indicative of the overall larger Sarwark strategy of just kind of go with the flow, don't rock the boat, and let's just kind of pander to certain types of people and not really make a wave. Um, That's not what liberty is to us. That's not what liberty is to a lot of people who think like us. And we, the reason we are looking to provide new leadership is because our vision of liberty and what we feel like we can do with a platform is going to be in stark contrast to what we've seen for the last several years. And I do believe that after we take over in Reno in a couple of weeks, you know, once we get our feet under us in short order, I think that as soon as early June, people are going to see a whole new face and hear a whole new voice from the Liberty movement that they've never seen or heard before. And it's going to make waves. And I feel that uh, people are going to finally understand that the Liberty movement is not for just disaffected Democrats. It is literally for people who are pretty hardcore about personal rights, guns, liberty in general, the real liberty that you think of. If you have a conversation with your friend about the ideas, hey man, I just want to have more of my money, more freedom to do live the way that I want to live, pursue what I want to do with my life and have the government leave me alone. When you start talking that way, that's what we're pushing for. We're not pushing for the alt-right. We're not pushing for Trump. 
We're not pushing for the Republican Party. We're not pushing for anything other than just to leave people alone and reign in the government. Even if another pandemic occurs, there should be no instance where where the government says, hey, you're not allowed to leave your house today. Even more so, because as we have learned, whether it was the war on terror or the pandemic, the government loves an excuse to take over your life. And they always take a little bit of your freedom during those moments of crisis and you don't ever get some of it back now they say now they're saying oh we're relaxed now schools don't have to wear masks aren't you happy and shit like that my kids go to public schools should have never happened to begin with should have never fucking happened to begin with even if it was a worse pandemic than it was in my opinion even if people truly were dropping dead at just a freakishly high rate perfectly healthy people left and right dropping dropping dead government should never say you can't leave your house because you they can't force you to leave your house you're allowed to stay in your house and be safe if you want. No one's going to force you to leave your house. The real question is going to be how how far gone are we and then what's going to happen with Trump? Um, mm. I That's above my pay grade. I don't really have a strong opinion on that right now. I'm just looking forward to the Libertarian Party actually running as a Liberty Party. I am actually looking forward to our talent, our people, our allies coming together and really using the platform in a way that has just never been seen before. And I think it's going to be something that people are going to really appreciate. And I think you're going to find that uh, we're definitely going to, you know, change some hearts and minds in the coming, you know, months and years. Because if we take over, that means that, okay, so let's put it this way. There's a very popular page on Facebook. It's called uh, Being Libertarian. It's uh, run in association with Eric July, who's a very popular libertarian. Man, I like Eric yeah. July. So they put up some really good shit in terms of their memes and their, you know, their commentary. And people love it. A lot of people love it. And one of the most common things you'll see within those liberty meme pages is talks about, I love libertarian ideas, but libertarian candidates just suck. People are now, granted, I can't promise you exactly what we're going to have for candidates coming up, but in terms of our messaging, in terms of the face, in terms of our people, you're going to finally get what you think liberty should be all about. Okay. That's great news. Um, Patrick Bet David did the podcast interview a few weeks ago with Joe Jorgensen. Within our world, the world of people who followed Liberty type shit, because not everyone does, it was a big hit. She said at one time, she quoted, like, if you and I sat here and joked around for a while, I could say some pretty inappropriate shit. Dave Smith on a podcast many years ago had said something to the tune of, uh, they were talking about rape. And he was making, David, Dave Smith was making the argument that even if a man and a woman get drunk and very drunk together and then have sex, that's not rape, no matter how drunk you get, okay? Not necessarily rape, I think. He was, if you go back and listen to the original clip, which I have, it does, he's not advocating for rape or anything like that. He's saying rape is rape, rape is bad. But we have to draw a line here, kind of like racism. Racism is bad, so, but you can't just go around calling everybody so, racist. So let's, so let's put this in context. I know where you're coming from on this. So the problem you're going to have that, and this, I'm sure the Mises Caucus leadership is aware of this, 
most of our critics are not coming at us in good faith. Sure. So they're going to find the absolute worst crap that they can find to twist and misrepresent where we're coming from. They can't steal. So let's put it this way. We steal man their arguments and they straw man everything else. Mm. Why is that? It's because we're confident in what we have to say. Sure. We know that we're being sincere. We know what we're talking about and we have confidence that what we're saying has value and will resonate. They ain't got shit. They haven't had shit. So what can they do? They can try to make personal attacks, smears, and try to make distractions and say, this is who you are from five or ten years ago, something vaguely said or easily misconstrued. It's not a good faith argument. At all. So basically all they're trying to do is they're trying to find some way to try to say, oh, look, we found this. I'm like, and Dave Smith, good for him, is really smart about this. And he knows how to handle that. He fucking handled it like a champ. I assume you heard his episode of Part of the Problem where he doubled down. Yes. And I would say this. This is what I love about Dave Smith, even though I don't think he's going to have to worry about being the the nominee. But I will say this. What's good about him is he understands, hey, look, everything they're going to try to accuse us of or, you know, in ways that they're going to try to smear us in terms of we're too radical, we're too weird, we're too strange. Okay, you're the party of war. You're the party of enslavement. You're the party of all these evil things that you've done to us. And you want to talk about some stupid joke that I made? A joke. I will happily take that challenge any day of the week. He's like, look, if you want to talk shit about jokes that I've made or offhand comments that I've made. He's a professional comedian. Yes. I'll do that. And in return, I'll talk to you about all the wars and all the crap that you've ever promoted and advocated for. And we'll see where the people land in terms of who they actually prefer the guy who says i want you to have more life love and liberty in your life i want you to have more freedom to do what you want to do just don't hurt people and take their stuff or this other jackass over here who maybe he's not really said a cross word but he's advocating for war for the drug war for more government intervention in your personal life who do you who do you think has the better message you don't even have to ask we already know he handled it like a champ. But in that Joe Jorgensen interview, Patrick Bet David said, what are your thoughts toward the end of the interview? I've listened to it a couple of times. I don't know why I feel I should be up to speed on this type of shit. What are your thoughts on Dave Smith? She said, well, we have similar views in many ways, but he said some things that really I don't stand with. Like what? You know, he's asked, what, like, what do you mean? Well, he said that he likes to give women 12 drinks of alcohol to have sex with them. And Patrick Bet David is like, what? Did he say that? She's like, well, I heard one of my, one, someone I know told me that he said it. And yeah, I mean, just she sounded like shit. It's really not even worth rehashing. No, it's right? not. But she, she took a shot at him. Sounded super well, salty. She sounded horrible. For, well, for me, it just reaffirmed what I already suspected. That basically she was a smiling face in the beginning, but she was just a tool of this group of people within the LP they really don't value liberty. Let's mm-hmm. just be honest. Sure. They don't value liberty. They value this political structure, which them and their friends have benefited from. She didn't do shit to advance the party during the campaign. She did not. She basically took a nap for, you know, the better part of what, four or five months. And that was about it. I interviewed her. I did interview her. Um, and she was nice. And, you know, she knows libertarian principles and she does know. But she's not an advocate. 
No, she has no spine. And I'm not saying she it's because no, she's a female. She has no passion whatsoever. I'm not saying it's because she's a female at all. Well, no, because if you listen to Angela McCardle, she is a lion. I mean, honestly, I'll tell you this much. I am so thrilled that Angela McCardle is running because I have heard her speeches. I have heard her take questions. I've seen the way she's conducted herself. She is fearless. She is smart. And most of all, she knows how to talk to people. And then as far as I'm concerned, and I've been saying this for a while now, I think that the chair of the LP is, in fact, more important than whoever we nominate in 2024 mm. because I believe that the chair will be able to direct the the direction, the uh, attitude, the orient, the overall orientation of the LP in a way that will be have more of a ripple effect than just whatever four or five months will benefit from the 2024 campaign. She'll have two years to run things and make things work in a way that across the nation, liberty is actually being pursued and supported as opposed to just consolidating power for people who just want to be in this club. So, in response to Patrick Bet David's podcast interview with Joe Jorgensen, the libertarian world, I don't want to say it was even that big of a deal. Dave Smith addressed it on his podcast. Like you said, he handled it like a fucking champ. Kind of like, almost like Trump did in his, except for the, the issue with Dave Smith is he never actually did anything. Trump actually was banging like porn stars and shit. Dave Smith doesn't have any dirt out there, except for inappropriate jokes. But he handled it like a champ. And to Patrick Bet David's credit, his response was to put together a libertarian roundtable discussion with Dave Smith, Larry Sharp, Spike Cohen, and Jessica Vaughn. Jessica Vaughn is a former playmate. To be honest, I'm not real familiar with her. Are you? Nope. She sounded good, in my opinion. I've seen her on Twitter. That's about it. Okay. But they, they recorded a three-hour and 15-minute Podcast episode, Libertarian Roundtable Discussion. I've interviewed Spike many times. I've interviewed Larry many times. I'm a fan of both of them. There was one other guy. Was he like a co- is he like? Yeah, a I don't know who that was. I think maybe that's Patrick Bet David's co-host. He was, he was actually really good. He seemed like he was like very either well-versed or understanding, I guess, of the liberty aspect because he seemed to chime in with some really good points that I really liked a lot. I agree. So, um, but what, what were your thoughts on this episode? It was awesome. What do you mean by that? What was awesome about it? Everything. Um, I will say this. Um, Everybody had a very good individual approach to many different things. And one thing I hope some people will consider, more people will consider, is there's more than one point of view on liberty. There's more than one approach on liberty. And it's going to take all our voices and all our efforts to really advance liberty in a meaningful way i would and to to that extent i'll even back and i'll even support my own words by saying this there's a lot of people within the libertarian party who i would consider more left-leaning pragmatic libertarians who absolutely hate us that are just absolutely disgusted by our growing movement and our you know our nearly inevitable takeover we welcome them to stay in the party and work with us. Sure. This isn't personal for us. That's the difference between us and them. Mm. Our mission is liberty. It is not people. 
that's where they're missing the mark. They're making it personal because they have nothing to offer and they're not fighting for anything other than their own status. If after we take over, they have a change of heart and they say, you know what, we'll give this a try and we'll work with you. Fantastic. We're here to work with you. As long as it's in good faith. Yeah. We'll work with you. And the leaders of Mises Caucus legitimately mean that. Because, because we, they're, they're we, not into forcing anything on anyone. It's no. The whole idea is individual liberties. It's kind of like this. It's kind of like the same approach that Elon Musk had when he was initially announcing his takeover. It's like, look, I know a lot of you people don't like this, but I hope you stay. He, because he sincerely cares about more voices, not less. Sure. For us, we care about all hands on deck. If you're willing to work with us, we welcome you. Doesn't mean you have to necessarily agree on everything. We just ask a good faith effort, you know. And from the very beginning, I would even tell you, had they come at us in a good faith effort to say, hey, look, here's some disagreements we have about you. Fine, we'll discuss that. And Dave Smith and many others have done that. The problem is, for the most part, it's not ever been in good faith. It's always been this slimy, backhanded bullshit. Mm -hmm. That reveals so much. So nevertheless... That's what makes us different from them. And that roundtable exemplified what's going to happen when you have multiple voices, multiple perspectives, all around the same cause. Larry Sharp, brilliant policy guy. There's nothing, I would say this, he's one of the few people that every time I hear him talk about policy, there's very little he's ever going to say that I'm going to disagree with. In fact, there's a lot of things he has to say that I'm like, wow, that's a really good point that I've never thought of before. Um, Spike Cohen. I'm actually going to go out and say this. The more that I hear from Spike, the more I think I actually kind of prefer him over Dave Smith in terms of communicating the message of liberty. Wow. Because, not because I don't like Dave Smith that much or I don't think Dave Smith's that good. I kind of feel like, <coughs> excuse me, the way... Spike articulates and speaks is in a way that I feel is actually more as more broad appeal. Now, what I will say is I think where Dave might have the advantage is I think he has a little bit more experience with the sound bites and the just kind of getting to the core in under 30 seconds of what you're trying to say mm. because he's done those interviews and he knows how to do that. I'm not saying Spike doesn't. But I say when it comes to the thoughtful sort of give me a minute or two to articulate, he comes up, Spike comes up with these great ideas and great ways of conveying a message that really comprehensively encapsulates so much of an issue. Whereas Dave Smith is specializes in the sound bites and really appealing to people in a way that is very impactful very quickly. It's not either or. It just means that, I find more value from Spike the more I hear from him. Jessica Vaughn, um, not very familiar with her. I followed her a little bit on Twitter. Um, I think that uh, she has a good voice to offer in terms of the community that she comes from. I think she's really big into crypto. But beyond that, I really don't have much of a strong opinion And what she had to say on the podcast. To a certain degree, I wasn't sure that she didn't really say a whole lot that really resonated with me. But on the flip, but on the other hand, she didn't really say anything that I thought, man, I don't really like that at all either. So I liked on the abortion topic. It came up toward the end, and they were 
the one co-host, Patrick Bet David's co-host guy said, we're all men. Why should we be able to talk about this? Kind of played the super progressive card. And she said, well, I think it does take a man and a woman to make a baby. <laughs> so I think you guys should be able to talk about this. And I was like, I fucking like that. Now, I'm not real opinionated. If I had to say anything, I'm probably more, maybe even if I had to say, maybe more pro-choice, I guess. But I loved how she handled that question. Yes. I will say that that was just, so for anybody listening that really enjoys a podcast where people are just discussing and giving answers, just kind of like bam, 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 that podcast is absolute gold. It's a great reference point for a lot of liberty ideas. Um, Dave Smith talking about cops, he was dead on. He nailed it. He did it in a way that was not antagonistic. Um, Spike Cohen talking about a little bit about justice reform and culture approach was absolutely perfect. Um, I think it was the co-host that was actually talking a little bit more about, you know, the fractional banking and how it affects inflation was really good. There was just some, there were some clips that were like one to two minutes long from each person that I thought, man, these are just perfect sound bites. Like these really do well to encapsulate what we think about things and if somebody who's not familiar with the Liberty Movement gets to listen to that episode and really considers what's being said, they're going to get a really good reference of what we believe. There's a lot of things. Like, I, um, I've i listened to it for a second time. I almost listened to it to two times all the way through. And that's the type of thing you can. It's three hours and 15 minutes. And if you want, you can pause it and say, oh, they mentioned a Milton Friedman versus Michael, young Michael Moore debate. And I was like, oh, shit, I'd never seen that. So I paused, and I went and found that on YouTube. And Milton Fried did, in fact, not shockingly, owned Michael, young Michael Moore. But kind of cool. They covered a lot of ground. And then there was the bomb that was dropped that was, you know, about Milton Friedman, where he's the one that advocated for, you know, the income withholding. With, yeah, that was interesting, <laughs> right? And then, well, of course, Spike, you know, talks about, you know, some revelations about the campaign with Joe Jorgensen. Oh, yeah. Spike was very forthcoming. Yeah. I've interviewed Spike, like I said, five or six times total. And he's never came out and blatantly said that he asked to speak with Joe Jorgensen's campaign managers and Joe. And they said, thanks, but no thanks. He was the vice presidential candidate. And he, he they said, we are not interested in what your input is. Larry Sharp also made a good point that he has put together some of the best grassroots campaigns in the history of the country for the Libertarian Party in New York in 2018 and now for 2022. And he offered his services for free. He wanted to help. Yeah. And they're like, fuck you. So one of the takeaways I feel like is when they were discussing, you know, approach towards, you know, the Libertarian Party and how how's best to do it. And everybody's given different answers from, you know, infrastructure to a face to a message I don't think it's necessarily any one particular approach, although I will say that, you know, Larry definitely emphasized the, the need for an infrastructure. I don't disagree. Some people emphasize the need for someone who has a voice that articulated message. I believe that is true. I don't necessarily think it's ever going to be just one thing. Hmm. But I do, I do believe it's going to be requiring some total of all of our efforts. Again, this is why I go back to why... The Mises Caucus is what I feel is like the most sincere and effective political force, with, especially within the LP, is because we see it as in a big picture movement. We don't see it as in our niche group trying to take over. We see it as in the liberty is the goal, 
move liberty across the board nationally for all people. That's what we feel. We're not saying if you have something else you want to pursue, don't do that or it's stupid. And the opposite, it's like, hey, look, more power to you. Mm -hmm. So again, there's no, it's we're kind of an all options, all hands on deck, everybody do your thing because honestly, there's so few of us, we need everybody. We don't want to exclude everybody. If Nick Sarwark, for whatever freaking reason, I know this won't happen, but if he had a change of heart, <laughs> let's just say he saw that after the first six months to a year that we were effective, and he genuinely showed up and said, you know what, I'm willing to give you guys a shot and help out. Now, granted, it would take a lot for him to prove that it's a good faith effort. Yeah, I, he tweeted today. I follow him. I don't know why. He tweeted a video of Mitch McConnell in Ukraine Supporting Ukraine. Today, he tweeted that. Yeah. So, so, I mean, his foreign policy, his everything is not consistent with liberty. Right. So, all I'm trying to say is... But but if, anybody, he, if he were to... Anybody who showed, demonstrates in good faith, we're, we're willing to work with you. We're not, here, we're not here to be tribal. So, that being said, I am not on that, you know, echelon of it's not my job to figure out who's got the best approach. I'll leave that up to smarter, more capable people. Again, end user approach. I just want people to talk liberty, win hearts and minds, and get people to really buy into this idea that, hey, look, you know what? The GOP is not going to get taken over for two main reasons. Number one, they have too many people. There's too much power that attracts the people involved. And the leadership is what you really would have to take over to make any change. And you're not taking over the leadership anytime soon, if at all. Mm. So... While I appreciate what Massey has done and while I appreciate what Rand Paul has done, to be honest, they have they have actually done what we plan to do with LP. They have been advocates. They have been very effective advocates. For liberty within the Republican Party. Did they stop anything within the GOP? No. No. Did they change much within the GOP? No. But have they won hearts and minds? Absolutely. That's what we're planning to do. Okay. What about so many different directions this can go in? What if Dave Smith were to run in 2024? He gets a nice following. Let's say he gets 6% of the vote. Kills it. That would be killing it, right? Sure. Okay. Well, I mean, depending on how much think, national think, recognition he gets. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it could be 6% that it, nobody I cares. Have to be, I think it would have to be, I think, uh, as Michael Malice said, We'd have to get closer to 8 to 10% before they really start to take us seriously. Because okay. once you get to that point, you're kind of like, you're making it or breaking it for somebody. But realistically, something like that happens. A star is born politically. Would there be a chance Dave Smith would end up going Republican? No. Okay. Ron Paul did. So keep in mind, and I think I've heard this said, and I don't know how true it is. Ron Paul apparently has said that if the LP had been viable... Back in 2008 or earlier, he might have actually gone within the LP. It was just that the GOP was the most viable to support his message and his platform. And you could argue it still is. I'm not saying I'm on the the post-libertarian bandwagon. I'm not. But you could certainly argue. I mean, I know it's May 26th in Reno. We'll find out. so, So here's a way that I see it. Let's say that Dave runs in 2024. Let's say he gets 6 to 10%, somewhere around there, enough to make waves. If you're getting 6 to 10% to make waves, guess what? You've already transformed everything. Now, 
you're putting much more in play. You're drawing more from the GOP and from the Democrats. More people are looking at you, and you don't have to sacrifice your message at all. Now you're a legitimate threat. You don't need to run off and go someplace else. People are seeing you, they're hearing you, and they're coming to you. So it's not 2024 you're worried about. It's 2028, 2032. We're looking at it as the long game. So let me just let yeah. me kind of clarify. And this is kind of as best as I understand it. So I'm not going to try to quote anybody. The stated goal of the Mises Caucus was never to win a presidential election anytime soon. It is to grow the movement so that eventually we can become a political force that has an effect and eventually can win. We're not looking to just merely be a megaphone, but a megaphone with a purpose. So with that being said, we're looking at it as in what's going to happen for a 10, 12 years. That's how we're looking at it. So people who think, well, you're not going to win elections. We're not trying to win the elections right now. We're trying to grow the movement so that we can win later elections by peeling more people off and bringing more people to us. I'm with it. Um, I, I think it's fascinating, though, to hear the people, the post-libertarian people, the, the people who are strong advocates of the Mises Caucus. Um, for me, I think no matter what the, the messaging is, no matter what the strategy is, Rand Paul's killing it right now. Thomas Massey was at that event a few weeks ago. Also, I was very happy to see him. They're killing it. Now, what does that even mean? I don't know. But Dave Smith... He runs in 2024. I would be happy to vote for him. Are you a registered libertarian? I am. I'm currently, for the record, earlier I made it sound like I was a registered libertarian. I'm not. I'm currently registered as a Republican. So you can support your... Uh, Daddy and body Correct. Yes. I'm going to vote for him May 17th. So you being a registered libertarian, you're not going to be voting in the primaries. I guess not. Okay. Um, what, what do you have to look forward to? What you're, that, that, there's different strategies that go into being so, registered so as a libertarian. So Does that, that make sense? So, so the way that I look at it, and here's something to consider. We live in Kentucky. Kentucky is still largely deep red. So in terms of national and statewide races, it's pretty red. Um, locally, we don't really pretty much have a chance in hell. Local elections, for the most part, are pretty much a toss-up. The Democrats own the 3rd District, which is what we live in. I don't really... <laughs> It would be nice to have a viable libertarian run for mayor or for Congress. It's just not going to happen anytime soon. We just don't have the support. We don't have anybody for that. It's primed for it. I would say that the people that are here is if we could get somebody to run in the general election for Congress or for mayor, somebody who could have a good campaign, I think it would be very, very, it would stand a good shot if we had that, but we just don't, um, I'm not really concerned about it. I mean, I look at it as in we're in concert, we're in Republican country, shitty Republicans though. Yes. And, um, I mean, other than Massey, who's not, we're not in Massey's now you could vote for, so it really, you could vote for Rand Rand Paul. Yeah. So it doesn't really bother me about the, who I can vote for or not. That doesn't really concern. I'm in it more or less. I'm invested in supporting the Mises caucus because that's where I feel my efforts and my money, my support, can go to making a bigger difference on the bigger scale than just the local stuff. Now, that's not to say local doesn't matter. I'm just saying we don't really 
have a whole lot right now going for us to make a difference in the local races. Even if we had people running local, we just don't have the money or the infrastructure to really support an effective campaign. Is it important for you to vote for Rand Paul over socialist-leaning Charles Booker? Is this a trick question? No, I'm asking because you could in November. You could. Why would I vote for Booker? I'm not saying you'd run for Booker, but are you? is it a, a, a priority for you to physically show up to vote? I could still vote for him in the but general. That's what I'm asking. In November, yeah. So yeah, you're I'm going gonna, to show up absolutely. and vote? Absolutely. Okay. In the general okay. election, yeah. No, I'm just saying that in the primaries. It, no, I get so, it. You're yeah. a, a libertarian. Unless I'll, be, I'll just be drinking bourbon in during the primaries, but you know, in the, come you know, November, I'll be supporting Rand Paul. Correct? Okay. Okay. It's interesting. And, and I don't think there's any perfect way to... Be a libertarian. So that brings up a good issue. So Rand Paul, Thomas Massey, the LP. We all have kind of the shared same vision. We're just going different paths. Exactly. Just, just like post-libertarians. Um, I would, I've always kind of held that if you took 100 libertarians, put them in a room, and they all started talking to each other, most of them would get along and be in general agreement on most things. The difference is... Where do they personally stand on how do they advance the ideas of liberty? Everybody's got a personal cho- Everybody's got a personal view on what they think is best. So that being said, again, I'm not the kind of guy that I don't really focus too much on efforts. I just feel that Mises Caucus has made a very good argument for why taking over the LP and advancing the, the liberty platform from that is actually going to be very effective. We'll wait and see and see what happens. I do think it's going to work out really well. It, we certainly live in a clusterfuck of a country right now. And the Libertarian Party, even the weak, watered-down version, is in fact the third largest party. Imagine if we had a Libertarian Party consistently messaging in a way that people who value liberty ideas could be like, holy shit, that's awesome. Without exception. No cryptic tweets about must be actively anti-racist. We have to be sympathetic to people coming across our border. Look, we're all about immigration. We are not about telling people to go fuck off that don't that want to come here. We also agree that there's a lot of different nuanced approaches to how we should do this. Sure. Even Dave Smith, who's not pro-open borders, he is not anti-immigration. No, not at all. So there's a lot of ways we can handle this. Also, it's smart to, and this is one thing I really like about people like the chairman, Michael Heiss, and others who are on the board that are part of this. They're pretty smart people. They understand what is worth our focus and what is a wedge issue that only serves to divide people. Mm, Interesting. Abortion. What are you going to focus on? Are you going to focus on the winning topics that will get people's attention and get their enthusiasm or are you going to focus on something that's really polarizing that may or may not actually win anybody over? And if anything, it'll push them away if they don't really understand where you're coming from. The border issue, I think, is going to probably be the most difficult hurdle for us to deal with only because there's a lot of different nuanced perspectives. And I would say that to some degree, we're going to have to at least make a very compelling argument that acknowledges the concerns of the conservatives 
without going against the principles of liberty, which means we welcome people to seek a new life. The difference just being how they do it. That's all. Larry Sharp, his talk about the two Ellis Islands. He's explained that on my podcast when in he, the past a couple honestly, of times. I was, I was astonished when he said that because I'm like, dude, you must have been listening in on a signal chat I was in with my friends because I had mentioned something similar a couple of years ago where I said, imagine we have an immigration superhighway, which is basically meaning you come through here, you agree to go through a process where we try to check, make sure, just do it to whatever extent that we can, make sure you're coming here with good intentions and everything's good to go. We'll let you come in here to live and work. There's no reason for you to not go through this if you are sincere and if you've got nothing to hide. How are we going to find anything? We don't even know background checks. Who knows who the fuck is a criminal anymore? But if you're willing to do that, then, hey, that means you're willing to put your cheese on the line for us to find out who you are just maybe try to keep tabs on you to whatever degree is necessary to ensure that you're not doing more harm than good. Sure. That means everybody else who's not going on that super highway, well, why are you avoiding this open gate? Yeah. It's very minimal now, or, or no cost even. Now, for the people who say, well, they're drug trails. Well, that's another thing. If the libertarian's in charge, guess what? Wow. Guess who's not going to be running or pursuing the drug war anymore? Criminals. That's another thing we're going to have to reconcile with, right, is realizing that, hey, by the way, maybe it's not a terrible idea to just let people use whatever substances they want to do or at least find a way to not enforce these laws to the degree that we have been. Let's not wage this psychotic, insane drug war that has been costing, harming countless lives and wasting immeasurable amounts of resources it doesn't mean that we want to put a crack pipe in everybody's hand. It just means, hey, you know what? Maybe this isn't something we should be enforcing to the same degree we have been. And at a time that is so convenient, we can actually find a way to resolve this issue that benefits everybody. Because ultimately, we're not telling people drugs are cool. We're just saying it's not our business. Sure. How do you communicate that with the Bible Belt? That's going to be a very interesting you know, thing to see. But look, on principle, that's where we're at. We're not saying do drugs. We're just saying we don't care what you do. So with that being said, I thought that was really cool that he mentioned that because that was something that I had thought about before as well. And that's a really good way to reconcile border control in a way that helps everybody. And it's similar to how our, you yes. and I are, how our ancestors came here. Correct. Through actual Ellis yes. Island. What's your, your uh, ancestry? Um, my grandma and grandpa came here through after World War II. Your grandma and grandpa came yeah, here? Yeah. Wow. They came from um, Germany after the war. Oh, wow. So they actually migrated right after after World War II. Fascinating. And uh, I have some stories about my grandpa, about how he, how he was treated. So let's just say a lot of people took advantage of him. Mm. Well, mine would be more like a couple hundred years or something yeah. ago from Ireland. But actually... That's yeah. similar. Ellis Island. So that's why it's called two or three Ellis Islands and he involved private businesses. And I agree, Larry Sharp. Kills so again, it. so that so again, that round table discussion just demonstrated the wealth of knowledge, the thoughtfulness, the brain power, the ideas, the open minded approach that we have. When you listen to Repu- most typical Republicans talk, let's just say most of us we want to vomit. Because there's a couple things we pick up right away. One, they're fucking lying. 
They don't about know, every question. They don't know what they're talking about. They refuse to give you a straight answer. And for the most part, they're just generally full of shit. They're telling you the talking points. Why? Because it's all about power. It's all about being elected. They don't have anything that they're trying, that they live by, because as far as they're concerned, it's all about what do I have to say to appeal to enough people to get the votes to stay in office? Because I like living in D.C. and I like my lifestyle as a congressman. Man, how horrible is that? And that's what you just said. Not many people listening would even debate that. That's what, yeah, if you're a Republican or Democrat, so even Rand me, Paul or Thomas Massey to a degree, it's what they do. So I would say this to a significant less degree. When you listen to Thomas Massey talk, there's going to be a few things that are going to come up that you're going to hear, okay, he's kind of towing the line a little bit, but that's very minimal. I agree. So it's it's one of those things to where it's like, look, I would not say he's pandering. I would say that he knows that there are certain things that he has to say to such a degree that he knows he has to check the block so people know where he's coming from. So he doesn't, because there are some people who are like, if you don't love Trump, then I hate you. Okay, so I don't necessarily disagree that he has to embrace Trump. I think we all know that in the perfect world, he probably would not be a Trump guy. <laughs> it's just my guess. <laughs> but it would be politically stupid to be completely exactly. anti-Trump. Same goes for Rand Paul. If you look at where he has most enthusiastically pushed for policy, that speaks for itself. That's why I say consider where a person has been, what they have talked about, as opposed to just the sound bites, because that'll tell you a whole lot about who they really are. You know, they can tell you anything in a quick sound bite, you know, or a tweet, but ultimately it's like look at the breadth of their work. If the breadth of their work does not reflect these sound bites, then you know they're full of shit. One interesting point. Are you okay on time? You tell I'm me. Great. I'm okay. Great. Okay. One interesting point in that round, round table discussion that I thought at least got the wheels turning for me in some different ways, not necessarily a good or a bad way. Once again, that's the PBD podcast, Patrick Bet David podcast available on you know Spotify or iTunes, whatever. It's the Libertarian Roundtable discussion from Thursday, so just a couple days ago. If anyone's listening, I suggest you do check it out. Fucking awesome. Even if you don't know anything about the Libertarian Party or the Liberty Movement, one thing I thought was interesting is they said, the one guy, Patrick Bet David's co-host, said, what you guys need is uh, The Rock. <laughs> or at one point someone said, Howard Stern was thinking of I had, running. I had strong opinions on those. Goes, check oh this my out. God, so I almost vomited all, so, when they fucking mentioned Howard Stern so as a Libertarian. For, I so would bail all, on the party immediately. So first of all, Howard Stern, where, so they said Howard Stern because he said at some point he was very libertarian-ish back in the day. Well, look, he was libertarian-ish back in the day because things were comfortable enough for him to feel like it was okay to do that. Well, what did he do during COVID? He's a he, pussy. He became a fucking lockdowner. He is as bad as they get. The Rock. Who did The Rock endorse in 2020? He came out and endorsed Biden. Yeah. Two things about that. Either A, he's ridiculously fucking stupid if he believed in that. Or B, he's just doing what he's told to do for political and business expediency. As far as I'm concerned, The Rock is a fucking loser. <laughs> he's got. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. No if you endorse Biden, he has no integrity. He either did that out of stupidity, or he did that out of savvy. Expediency. It's yes. savvy. So there can be a savvy move. So he has no integrity whatsoever. Okay. I mean, like the guy's fucking brain dead. Why would you endorse him? Okay, one thing Dave Smith said, and I'm going to get back to that topic, but one thing Dave Smith said 
is um, that, let me see, I was going to say something. Damn it. Fuck. I'll get back to it. Okay, so they mentioned The Rock. They mentioned Vince Vaughn. They mentioned the wheel, uh, the Price Drew, is Right Drew, guy. Drew Carey. Drew Carey. Okay, so the one co-host was saying, you got to get someone with a big name. You got to so get I, someone like that. Yeah, so That's I get, the solution. So That's I, how you win. So I get that, and I can appreciate that. Here's the problem, and here's how I've looked at it. You get somebody who knows what the hell they're talking about it and says it in a way that you can relate to. All problems are solved. Here's the problem with having a personality do it, or here's at least the problem that you're not solving for. Merely having a personality, but if they don't communicate in an effective way, the face alone isn't enough. Sure. So point being, let's just say that we have Dave Smith running, obscure comedian podcast host that a lot of people don't know. Let's just be honest. No, a lot of people do not know. Yeah, if you haven't tuned into Rogan, and if you aren't in the political circles, you don't know who Dave Smith is. Fair enough. So let's just say you're the act, again, me as an end user. Let's just say you're a casual, just casually tuning in to the news one day, and you hear a snippet of an interview from Dave Smith. And he says whatever he's saying about whether it's the drug war, the war on terror, banking, whatever it is. I have more confidence that what he's going to say in 30 seconds is going to resonate more than anything that Drew Carey or Vince Vaughn would say because that's what he does. Agreed. He's going to say, wow, that guy actually said something that I agree with. Maybe I will look him up and want to hear more from him. I love that he's Jewish too. Yeah. He can say, you know, my parent, my, my family was killed in the Holocaust. Yeah. However, you know. So let's say we take Drew Carey or Vince Vaughn. I don't know that they're not good at articulating. Let's say that they prove that they are. Great. Well, then they have to want to do it. Sure. So if you have to recruit them and if you have to pull hard for them to do it, and if they don't even really have the innate desire to do that, then merely having the face but without the passion, it's really not going to get you. And I'm not even saying that it wouldn't, I wouldn't, let's put it this way. Would it be cool to have a charismatic, thoughtful, articulate Vince Vaughn or Drew Carey run? Sure. Oh, yeah, in theory. But are, do but do we have that? No, not so It far. would not be lucrative for them. So, right? Dave Smith. That would not I, be lucrative. It, and that's even assuming that they even care about the money. It's just a matter of do they even want to do it. Let's just say they want to do it. Then sure. That means that people within the LP have talked to them and they have verified, oh, yeah, Drew Carey or Vince Vaughn, they want to do this. We've talked to them. They've got the chops. They've talked to us. We know that from interacting with them, they know what they're talking about. Then maybe they're going to do a test run. Let's put him on a couple of podcasts, TV shows, see how he does. And if he lives up to it, if he's in the moment, great. So that's what you're going to get is the personality with someone who knows the substance. But you have to test drive that. We already know the value of Dave Smith. He's already tested the issue is platforming him in such a way to give him more of a voice. I guarantee you, if Dave Smith gets nominated, he's going to be back on Rogan Moore. He's going to be on Fox News more. He's going to be on more podcasts, and he knows what to do. He knows how to focus and fine-tune the message in a way that it's going to resonate with more people. You're not going to hear dick jokes. You're not going to hear stupid slander. Now we didn't say slander, but you're not going to hear this. the, how shall we say, the crass comedian. Sure. 
I, I've noticed that he's cleaned up his act a little bit. And, he, even, he's, and he's even prepared for the fact, well, well, you can't have this, like, you know, guy that's giving all these, like, really shitty dick jokes and stuff like that. I'm like, like, he knows how to handle that. Again, he's already said that before. I'll put up my dick jokes over your war votes any day. He would handle them very well. Also, he says now, you know, I don't use marijuana. I did when I was younger. I don't anymore. So, apparently, he stopped smoking weed, which, I, who and, gives and, a fuck, and honestly? How, and he knows how to re- re- relate to most people under the age of 40 who are like, all you boomers suck. He knows how to relate to them. So there's it's a win-win situation. Now, is it going to be tough to get him in as much of the public spotlight? Sure. But again, it's a process. It's not going to handle overnight. I guarantee you that with the platform, with the alternative media, meaning podcasts, other people doing things online, he's still going to be able to get his voice out. We're still going to be able to advance and grow the movement, especially with two years of the Mises caucus taking over and running the LP. We're making connections. We're getting people out there. Even our chair will be an asset. Angela McArdle, she's going to be out there talking to people. She's awesome. It's not going to be just Dave Smith that we're going to rely on for five or six months. Yeah, It's going to be so many other personalities that we're putting out there. You know, social media is going to become a big thing again on Twitter, especially, hopefully. So there's going to be a lot more weapons and resources available to us that, look, we're not saying we're going to win, not yet, not at all. What we're saying is we're really going to move the ball. We're going to shift the, the discussion. We're going to have an effect. We're going to have an influence. That's all we're hoping for. If anyone's listening, I encourage you to check out the PBD podcast. Listen to the episode we are referencing, the roundtable discussion. And fuck, tweet it, Patrick Bet David, and say, I enjoyed this episode. If you want to contribute to Liberty, I think supporting shit like that's a big deal. Absolutely. Does that make sense? Makes perfect sense to me. At least letting them know I listened. Liking, subscribing his, to his YouTube channel. Because, I mean, if, if someone really doesn't recognize... now. The best way you can tell somebody you like their product is to support their product. In any way. A little bit of a like here and there. What I was going to say earlier is messaging. Dave Smith said earlier in the episode, you got to be tactical. You got to be smart when it comes to messaging, okay? You can get some traditional leftists or Democrats to come over to the Libertarian Party. You got to be selective with who you're going after, though. Someone who's super progressive, woke, Uh, pro-Black Lives Matter on everything, pro-trans rights and gender pronouns and all that. To be honest, probably not the best candidate. Maybe they'll come over and we'll welcome them with open arms if they do, but let's not spend much of our campaigning on that type of shit. I think that the focus is going to be on the principles, the hardcore message, let the chips fall where they may, and I think people of principle will appreciate that. I think the people on the left, the people that value what Andrew Yang has to say, what Tulsi Gabbard has to say. Mm. I think those people who value something real, look, they don't have to love us on all the issues. Man, neither of those two are great on all issues. But if they value that real message and if they hear what we're saying, they're like, hey, look, these people generally want, they don't want me or my family to go to jail for drugs. They want to give us a more fair justice system and they don't want us to be doing all these wars anymore. Maybe that's something worth looking into. And likewise, we're not going to pander to the right. We're not going to get involved in the culture war and say, "Hey, we're like we're we're all about you know God, you know faith, family, and all that stuff." It's like, no, that's your personal business. What we do want is for you to have more of your own money, 
more freedom in the marketplace for you to pursue your endeavors, definitely big on gun rights, definitely big on fiscal sanity. So if the worst thing you have the bone to pick with us about is maybe we're going to be lax on the drug war, maybe we're not going to be as uh, lovey-dovey or do all the hero worship on the military and the police, we can live with that. Because what are you going to get in return? All the other awesome shit. Sure. Now, look, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be complicated. But we've got good people that know how to handle it. The people that are involved in the Mises Caucus are not idiots. They're very smart people. They're very talented people. They know this stuff. I can't fathom how they're going to do this. All I know is I happily donate to them monthly because... I have confidence that when they get the opportunity, they're going to make shit happen. Wow. When I said the Mises Caucus is not going to spend a bunch of time pandering to Black Lives Matter, things like that, you made a great point, okay? The black community in our country arguably could be served by the libertarian platform I would, more I, than anyone. I so would, it's not that it would be anti-black at all. I would wager that as soon as these people in these communities hear what we have to say. They're gonna be like, why the fuck didn't we hear about this 10 or 20 years ago? You're an African-American. Great. Do you have any family members who are in prison for a nonviolent crime? Any? Answer that question. You if ever, you're an African-American. Do you ever you have- feel like you're being unfairly treated by the police? Do you ever feel like you have a lack of opportunity and nobody? Do you feel like you've been told, t- promised so many times that over and over, if you just vote for us, we're going to make your life better and you're still not living any better? Well, guess what? It's because you don't have any market opportunity. Why don't you have market opportunity? It's because regulations, cronyism within local governments have limited that market opportunity and have sold you a bill of goods. They keep telling you they're going to bring back prosperity, but it really all they're doing is they're only helping their friends prosper the most. They're not helping you. And they're using you for, <coughs> for votes. Correct. So the way that I would explain it is, and here's one thing that's really cool about liberty. I have never had anybody, even I've talked to some pretty hardcore left-wing types. I've never had anybody talk to me about any other concerns. And after hearing what I have to say, think, oh man, that's just complete bullshit. Inauthentic. No one accuses of it being like a crazy. No, if anything, they hear what I have to say. And it's almost as if like, Wow, that's a good point I've not heard before. Okay. Because liberty is not out there. The message is not out there. It's not being so. All they're hearing right now is this main from the corporate media and from left-wing sources is crony capitalism is what free markets are all about. And that, you know, liberty types or conservatives just hate black people and just want to keep all the money for themselves. They don't know what truly free markets are all about. They don't know what liberty is all about. They don't know what personal empowerment is all about. If I were to tell the people, if you gave me five minutes to go into the West End, speak to a crowd of about a couple thousand people, tell them what liberty is all about, I guarantee you many of them are like, that's some shit. I want to know more about that. That's for real. Because it worked on me. Sure. I was a big government Republican. I didn't like a lot of the things about liberty either, but then I heard it understood and explained by people. I'm like, wow, that makes sense. I think more so with them because a lot of the core beliefs that matter to us really directly apply to them. They just haven't heard it in the same way because for whatever reason, there's just a very 
closed bubble of information within certain communities. And I would argue that until that, it's kind of like North and South Korea. South Korea is more open, liberal society. North Korea, everything's locked down. There's not a freedom of information, so they only know what they're told from the state media. Well, the West End is very much the same way. Wow. These people don't hear of anything else because no one's telling them anything else. So if they get a chance to hear that, oh, by the way, guess what? I want you to make more money. I want you to be more prosperous. I want you to be able to have school choice. I want you to be able to own guns and defend yourselves. Legally. And I want, I don't believe in any gun laws. So. Okay, but 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 as of right now, um, the, the, the largest percentage of people who are victimized by the gun laws is oftentimes black people well, in our country. Well, they yeah. have guns, and they're not maybe registered. Well, yeah. They get well, yes, they yes, get put yes, into yes, jail yes, for yes, them. Yes, so the yes. current system fucks I want, I want, black people correct. arguably more than so, anyone. So correct. So I'm, I guess to qualify it as, as I don't want you to be seen as criminal because you have a gun that was obtained in a way that the law did not recognize. Exactly. That's I don't what give I'm, a shit. I don't give a shit if you bought a gun from your buddy. No, agreed. It should not. That there should be no laws regarding that. So I want people to be empowered and be able to be prosperous by any means necessary, as long as they're not hurting other people. So that's what's really cool about that, but they don't hear that. All they hear is rich white people hate them. Hate food stamps. Yeah. It's like, you know what? I'll tell you this much. There's only one thing I've ever heard from John McCain that I've ever actually agreed with. What's that? I'll go after the cronyism at the corporate level before I go over before I go after the benefits for the people at the street. That'll be the last place I go to. And by the time we're there, We've already reformed regulations and freed up the markets in such a way they won't need those benefits. Mm. So imagine what happens when you deregulate the market, free up the barriers to entry within the market, allow for more healthy competition to lower prices to increase opportunity. You no longer need all these social benefits because jobs grow on trees Wage is going to rise. There's going to be plenty of money to be had for everybody. And food stamps will truly be limited and rare. You won't even give a shit if you don't have access to them. You're like, I'm making money. I don't need food stamps. The government is not subsidizing the big box store down the street, which they are now entirely. And you would have incentive to go in with your family and get a local corner store. You own that shit. But so many people have not heard this message. They don't know how this works. They don't realize the reason why you don't have jobs is because the local government is controlling who can do business and who can't based on regulations. And maybe you have jobs, but that's not true. Um, industrial, you know, that's not prosperity uh, type Correct. jobs. That's working at a factory. That's you're getting eight, uh, you know, hooray, I'm making $24 an hour working for some big corporation. It, it's business ownership. It's this actual be- prosperity. It's generational wealth. It's shit that's actually going to empower you. You don't have to be dependent on anyone and you have actual freedom. So there's a lot going on there that they don't hear about that I would be love to be able to spread that message about. But I'm just saying is ultimately what the, the point is, there's a message to liberty that it's easy to understand. It's just that, unfortunately, it's not getting out there. And that's going to be the goal of the Libertarian Party's mission going forward as soon as we're done with it to taking over is we will have that voice. We will have that platform to get that message out there. And also to conservative types. We're going to tell the conservatives, hey, by the way, this whole thing about 
limited government, fiscal sanity, about empowering you and your families to live the way you want to live without being intruded on upon the government for you to be able to keep more of your own money, guess what? That's going to be a real thing. That's what we're talking about. Gun rights, you like guns? Guess what? We love guns. You know, you want to have your own machine guns and tanks? Cool. So do we. Now, I will say as a former veteran, machine guns are stupid and tanks are dumb, but that's just my own personal opinion. But you can have them if you want. Absolutely. As you should be able to. In that podcast, I like Patrick Bet David was asking things like, okay, what if a rich person wanted to buy a nuke? So let's talk about that. That's There's so much in that podcast. Oh, my gosh. Three hours and 15 minutes of gold. What we would have to do is like we'd have to go back over it again and just start doing bullet points and like all these things and come back through and do another podcast, which we could probably We should do do it. I'm down. Because there was so much brought up. So, yes, McNukes and limitations of foreign policy. So on McNukes, the idea... Is someone just going to randomly buy a nuclear weapon and then potentially be a threat to somebody? So here's the premise. Potentially, yes, you could. Yeah. The fact that nobody has kind of speaks for itself. First of all, what benefit does it have for you to acquire a nuke unless you're a madman that you just want to destroy your boom backyard? What if Elon Musk used all his money to buy one nuke? What does it benefit him? Yeah. I mean, if he just wants to die and take out society. So here's the thing. Kill Canada? Think about the logistics that goes into that. Oh, you want to buy a nuke? Well, last I checked, nukes aren't exactly sold at Walmart. So you would have to go through the black market to acquire a nuke. <laughs> last I checked, there's limited access to these nuclear weapons. And so that even if in a society where nuclear weapons are available, it's going to be like, okay, who wants a nuke? Oh, it's that guy. That, that dude's not a stable dude. He's got kind of a history of being kind of an idiot. Yeah, I'm probably not going to sell to him, even if he's going to offer me a billion dollars. Why? Because he... What, I don't want to die. Because either A, I, what does he want to do with it? Oh, he wants to do something with it. Okay, well, guess what? I have family and friends that live out near where he is. Sure. I don't want to risk him nuking his own backyard. I just don't trust this guy to give him this damn thing. So what's it's, the same, it's the same thing that happened with uh, when they were discussing, like, and this is kind of a difference of opinion I had with Larry Sharp, where they're talking about, well, you know, I think it was either drugs or alcohol. We shouldn't be giving kids this stuff. So, like, well, listen, I'm not saying everybody's going to be an ethical person, but, you know, if you start, if you legalize narcotics, is it possible somebody's going to be peddling dope? To a six-year-old. It's possible. It could to a happen. six-year-old. It, yeah. could, it could happen now, so to speak. Oh, I'm sure it does. Here's the problem. That's parental responsibility. That's where you have to educate your kids, okay? You have a responsibility to teach your kids, here's what you do and don't get into. So the market is going to sort itself out in many ways. On foreign policy, he was talking about, well, I'm worried about, you know, dude, they're, you know, China taking over. Okay, China's not looking to take over. They're an opportunistic nation looking to capitalize they're not an aggressive, hostile nation. They're not building an offensive military. They're using geopolitics as a way to advance and grow. And by the way, they're trying to do it at our detriment by playing us for suckers by using our economy against us based on our, our own government. Yeah, they buy all these T-bills. I mean, Japan if own the really, majority. If, if you're really concerned about China, be concerned about the people within our own government that are enabling China. Sure. So there's a lot going on. They, they Some people, I forget who it was, but somebody on that podcast just really summed up the issue of China succinctly saying, you know what? The more free and prosperous other nations are, the less likely they are to become aggressive and hostile. I think Larry Sharp said if he's in charge, we have a libertarian uh, 
government in the United States lift all the embargoes. Cuba, North I, Korea, everything. So, lift them all. Let's so have free what trade. It, what, it was, what was said, and I'm paraphrasing, is this. When each nation feels they don't have to worry about some other nation trying to bully them or manipulate them, they're free to just try to become wealthy and prosperous on their own in whatever means that they see. Sure. It doesn't mean that everybody's happy and agrees on everything. It just means that Russia's kind of like, like, look, Putin's a dictatorial asshole that invaded another nation. But he didn't just do it because he woke up one day feeling like an asshole. Let's just be honest. Something happened within Ukraine and the U.S. foreign policy that provoked that. Oh, a lot did. As recent as December. And I'm understating that to make a point to say that people who are worried about foreign policy aren't thinking foreign policy as to what's the cause and effect for all these nations behaving the way they do. And as Dave Smith and somebody else mentioned, by the way, who's been the biggest perpetrator of an aggressive foreign policy for the last 20 years? Actually, for the last 40 to 50 years. It's not debatable. It's us. We've been the bad guy. We're the proverbial bad guy that everybody else is worried about. So, again, these boogeyman theories about Russia or China gallivanting across the world, taking over smaller countries, it's just not realistic. It's not feasible. It's not practical because it wouldn't happen in in a world in which free trade is being practiced by everybody. So it's like, look, if they have the ability, if they are not able to manipulate us, then they don't have, right now, exactly what that one guy said, I think it was Spike that said, they don't actually have a really good economy. Their economy is based on us, largely. We're their biggest customer. And China? Yes. And and they were articulating, uh, yes. Dave Smith was, and Patrick, Bet David, they were yes. articulating that some yes. cases can be made that their centralized bank and shit is, is as much of a, a force Maybe as ours in some ways, which obviously is a, a, so a nuanced topic. So there's a lot of things for people to consider about what goes into the freedom of a libertarian society that could be a concern. And it's worth discussing. Sure. But it has to be a nuanced discussion where people are willing to listen and tune in and consider what's being said. It's not a soundbite for sure. There's definitely a lot of things to where if you want to learn about liberty, you've got to be willing to tune in, listen and consider and do it again over and over again if you really care. The people who tend to just go with the flow and go after personalities, yes, those are going to be a little bit tougher to win over. Those are going to be the kind of people that maybe we're not going to appeal to right away. But I will say that I think that if the LP has a message and a posture that actually promotes liberty that resonates with most people, you're going to find more people within public, the entertainment world, are going to come out and help give us a voice, support our voice. You're going to find more people saying, yeah, that's the kind of shit that I'm into, and I support this. And people are going to realize, oh, wow, that's really cool. And it's not this abstract, stupid, left-leaning message that it has been since 2016. So with that said, you're going to find some – so like Joe Rogan, let's take Joe Rogan, for instance. On some ways, he leans liberty, and on some ways, he leans socialism. Cool. Cool. But that's also because, quite frankly, he's not really been put on the spot to really have to think it through or been presented with somebody who's really offering him a real choice. You got to watch this Larry Sharp, Joe Rogan interview. You saw, you heard Larry Sharp b- become argumentative and aggressive in this episode, right? <laughs> Did you? Yes. Okay. You got to fucking Google YouTube search 
Joe Rogan, Larry Sharp. Well, I mean, I've got a subscription, so I can get all the Rogan episodes. But, oh my God, Larry Sharp needs to chill out a little. I asked him about this on air, and he was like, you know, I got a little carried away. But he was lecturing Joe Rogan. Joe was saying, "Teach." I know one thing, teachers need to be paid more. And Larry was like, what? Yeah, they need to be paid more. How much should they be paid, Joe? I don't know, a lot more. And Larry's like, what the fuck? So that's the problem with Larry sometimes gets so deep in the weeds, he forgets who the audience, who he's talking to. Sure. That's where Dave Smith excels. Dave does. When he's on there with Joe, he doesn't argue with them. I hear something that Joe says, and I'm like, Dave kind of lets it slide. I will actually go the opposite direction. I think sometimes Dave is too amicable and doesn't call Joe on his bullshit. Yeah. Michael Malice did once. I think, well, I don't remember that, but I, will, I remember the last episode that I saw Michael Malice on there was like a year or two ago, and he was just like, they were just kind of talking dumb shit about their toy collections and stuff like that. But point being is, Dave, I think, could stand to be a little bit more pushback with Joe. What's important to, let's be honest, one of the biggest assets to Dave Smith is what? That he's legitimately good friends with Joe Rogan. You don't want to fuck that up. Oh, he's not going to fuck that up just by pushing back on him a little bit. I, would I agree. I think he just needs to do it in a way that is respectful and say, hey, look, Joe, so when you talk about this, let's think that through. Do we really think that that makes sense for us to have socialized medicine? Why do you want socialized medicine? Because you want everybody to have medicine. This is a classical argument. Okay, well, why doesn't everybody have access to medicine? Well, well technically we do. It's just very unaffordable. Why is it unaffordable, Joe? Oh, it's because of regulations. It's because of lack of competition. Sure. Why is that? Because the people that are currently running the system aren't doing it for your benefit. They're doing it for their benefit. 100%. Do you think that'd be better done with Dave Smith and Joe Rogan while they're out to eat and not on air? Or do you think it's good for those types of conversations to be done on air? Flip of a coin. I mean, okay, who knows? I'm not going to second guess Dave on that in terms of what he... I'm not there in the studio when he does it. All I know is I listen to his episodes and I'm thinking to myself... I, me too. On these points, you could stand to politely, fr- in a friendly way, because jo- Joe does it. Joe's not afraid to push back and say, What's his show? Well, but to be fair, you can do it in a way. Say, hey, look, again, just like I just did, say, Hey, Joe, you know, I get why you like socialism, but let's think about it this way. Again, why do you like socialism? Why do you like nationalized health care? You like it because you want more people to have health care. I do too. Yeah. But what's the best way to go about that? Well, think about what makes healthcare inaccessible or hard for people to get. It's because it costs too fucking much. And just walk through step by step the problem of why healthcare is so difficult and expensive for people to get. If you do that, that's a winning combination for two reasons. Number one, you've educated Joe and you've educated everybody else. And number two, you've demysticized the idea that healthcare is just some kind of complicated subject matter that baffles everybody's minds and nobody really understands how to fix it. When the answer is staring us right in the face, it's just that too few people either know or care to actually express that in a way that really benefits everybody else. You know, it's, I don't want to say it's the mystery of fire, but sometimes people make things a little bit more complicated than it really needs to be. Sure. Gun laws is another perfect example. Let's just say that we talk about guns in a way that, you know, Let's just say people who are concerned about gun violence. Well, let's talk about what gun violence is. You can talk about it from the purely criminal point of view of people who just want to go out and shoot people. Well, what's the best way to stop somebody from shooting at you? To shoot back at them. 
well, you can't shoot back at them if you don't have a gun. Why do most people not have guns? Either A, they're afraid of them, or B, where they live, it's hard for them to get a gun. Another thing, why do some people turn to violence? Well, maybe it's because of lack of economic opportunity and they're just trying to get by. Maybe they're going to hold up a liquor store or they're going to try to shake you down because they don't have any other way to get them money. Well, that's another issue is why is there a lack of prosperity where you live that causes you to feel desperate to turn to violence? Again, that's something we can discuss and have a simple solution to say, hey, look, you wouldn't feel the need to go to violence if where you live, there was more opportunity for you to be able to provide yourself. So this is something, this brings up a good subject. Um, about six months ago, I think it was, Ja'Cory Arthur spoke out publicly after a school shooting. And he said that he carries a gun, but he's never shot anybody because his needs are met. People turn to violence because their needs aren't met. Wow, fair point. So I would argue right? I can... I can think of many times in my life, my needs weren't met. Did I turn to violence? No. Now, there's two ways we can go with that. Personal choice. Are you brought up with morals to where you value and respect other people more than you care about your own needs? I've never felt the need to hold somebody up or to hurt somebody to better my own personal situation. That being said, his needs aren't met. That's a legitimate issue. Why aren't his needs being met? What happened in this person's life that their needs aren't being met? Did they drop out of school? Did they lose their job? What's going on here that led them to this point? Now, his solution is more government. He thinks, well, we need more of a government structure to subsidize people so that people don't feel desperate. Or we can look at it as in, why is the free market not meeting their needs? Because we don't actually have a free market. Again, we go back to the cronyism of municipalities, which control the local market and prevents opportunity. Maybe his only choice for you know a job is either White Castle, Walmart, or one of these higher technical jobs that he's not qualified for. So he feels desperate. He's like, look, I don't want to work at fast food. I don't want to work at Walmart, and I don't qualify for a technical job. So he feels very frustrated. Whereas in a free market economy, there's a whole graduation of jobs available to where he can pick and choose from and actually make a decent living. But unfortunately, we don't have that because we don't live in a free market because our local economy is run by a very corrupt mayor and city council in which they control who can do business and how they can do business. But these people have not heard that. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, Ja'Cory Arthur does not understand what a free market is all about. I've even actually called him out on it on Twitter. Did he respond? Yes. Did he? He literally has no idea what a free market is. He because thinks, he would he, say that we have a free market right now, and he, that's the enemy. Correct. He thinks it's crony, he thinks crony capitalism. That's what a lot of socialists is what, say. Yes. Yeah. And he thinks it's all run by rich white people. Yeah. Okay, cool. I understand why you believe that, but you're stupid and you're wrong. And if you're not open-minded to what the actual answer is, then you're willfully ignorant, and I really can't respect that. It's a process, okay? I'll say a few years ago, I was talking to my wife at the time, my girlfriend, and one of the things she said to me was, no matter how wealthy she was, she would never put her kid into a private school. She would never. 
And I was like, hmm, okay, you know, I digested it. We were on a walk out here in our neighborhood. What was the reason behind that? Just that she doesn't, at the time where she was, she wasn't really seeing the value uh, of separating. You, you no need to put rich people just like to separate themselves from the general public. And that's shallow and that type of thing. Yes. And so I was like, hmm. So she looked at it as like in private schools or for privileged people who don't really share our culture and values. Yes. And beyond that, they don't even want to be around poor people, that type thing. And I remember saying, you know, my kids are in public schools. I would rather they're in private schools. I'm divorced and I don't have those choices, unfortunately. Okay. But my point is it's a process. So I tried to explain it to her at the time and I don't know how much I was frustrating. Don't know how much I got through to her. It was kind of a, almost like a contentious little argument. Fast forward three years later, she's not rich now, and she's now paying fucking $700 a month to put her daughter <laughs> into Assumption High School because she, she, she went to her freshman year at Central, and every assignment in the English classes was all about structural racism. Yeah. And she came from Cuba, and she, now she's connected the dots. So I guess my point is, Messaging and getting through to someone with certain messages, whether it's Joe Rogan and Dave Smith or this or that, it can be a process. Not to say I have everything I, I, figured I out. Not, I would not disagree. I would just say this. When you put yourself out there publicly and start talking policy, especially in a very presumptuous, arrogant manner, as Ja'Cory Arthur often does. <laughs> You're single Ja'Cory Arthur. I will just say this. He sucks. I don't hate the guy. I think that if I ever met him, I would like the guy and we could have a good conversation. We and should do a debate on here. You too. Well, I don't think he's going to show up. Actually, I know he's not going to show up. Number two. There's no incentive for him to show up. Exactly. So I would say this. I would welcome it, but I would not. I would bet $100 he doesn't show up. And I we would sh- happily pay We should invite him, schedule it, and then he won't show up and you show up. And then so, we broadcast it. Like, so, where's Corey Arthur? So, so, Take so, a picture so of an empty, empty chair. So and we're on the flip side. If he does show up, I'll tell you how it's going to go. He's going to make numerous straw man arguments. He's not going to let me talk. And if I do talk, he's going to completely ignore everything I say, and he's going to go back to what he thinks, and it's not going to be an actual good-faith conversation. Probably. I don't think he's capable of a good-faith conversation. He's not going to be able to hear and consider what I have to say. I will absolutely hear and consider what he has to say because I've already heard and considered it. That's why I'm a fucking libertarian because I've heard these arguments. I've heard what they've said. I know what they're talking about. I would even go so far as to say if Jacory gave me five minutes – to just articulate what I think of the black community and what they've been through, I guarantee his jaw would be on the floor. Sure. Because I think I could emphasize with his concerns better than anybody outside of his circle. Wow. And that's not in a woke way. That's not pandering. That's not pandering. Because I could guarantee I would say, you know what, Jacory? Imagine being a young black kid growing up in a neighborhood where all you see is violence, cops who look at you sideways, people who don't value you, a school system in which you're not really given an education. Even if you get straight A's. And there's a lack of opportunity. And all you see is judgment and despair. And you don't have any reason to have any hope. And oh, and here's the best part. The people who you're told are supposed to protect you, all your encounters with them, all they do is harass you. The All they do is judge you. All they do is give you a hard time. They're not there to help you. They're not there to be your friends. Of course, you're going to f- grow up feeling like the society hates me. 
the police hate me, and really I've just got to fight to get by. I absolutely emphasize And then you're open to the idea of some someone who's a little bit of a social justice warrior, preaching equality, preaching um, fairness. And that's actually a very generous take, I will say. What's I generous? Would, as, far as, as far as what's going on with the police. Um, I think my concerns with the police grow deeper than what he could ever imagine. Wow. Okay. I would say I You're would a go, true libertarian. I, I would say I would go so deep down the rabbit hole on police and say, I think I hate the police for all the right reasons that you haven't even thought of yet. <laughs> and here's the best part. The people that you think are trying to reform the police are more your enemy than you realize. Fair. The democratic party. They're in, m- much more pro who police. Runs the, who runs the police? The whole the system you're in. Let's just focus in, in Louisville, <laughs> right? Who who runs the police? So again, it's the Democrat Party, Greg Fisher, which to some degree I'm sure he's aware of. But the problem is, is he doesn't even understand the principal aspect of why policing is so terrible to begin with. He thinks it looks. Like, he rightfully understands that yes, black people get mistreated and targeted by police in a lot of ways, but he doesn't understand why. Police don't just wake up one day and think, I want to go arrest me some black people. No, that's not how that works. It's worse than that. There's no discrimination. There's no systemic racism with police. It's worse than that. They're authoritarians. They don't give a shit who you are. They don't care about your color. What they care about is cracking skulls and getting respect for authority. That's even worse. For those of our listeners who are maybe coming to us from somewhere outside of the city of Louisville, Ja'Cory Arthur is a Louisville metric district for councilmen. So Louisville, of course, metropolitan areas, I think at one point was uh, was measured as 16th largest, I think, metropolitan city in the country. So I know we're local here in the Louisville area, but anyone across the country or across the world. That's this, is, who, this is where Breonna Taylor happened. Correct. And that was a significant deal. So I mean, And I have some issues. And I can even talk about Breonna Taylor just to bring it home. What was wrong with Breonna Taylor? So they went after her for drugs. Well, they shouldn't have been going after her for drugs to begin with. If drug, if the drug war were not so aggressively pursued, this never would have happened. Then let's talk about the way they approached her. So why are they going to approach them at their home? Okay, well, let's just say you're just going to knock on the door. He starts, they supposedly did. Yes, they supposedly they did. did. Let's just say that you think they're a threat. Why not for you just to let them walk out unsuspecting and surround them and take them police peacefully just like that. Well, that's not an option. We want to get them at their home. Okay, cool. So you knock on their door. Somebody shoots. So you start shooting. And here's the first rule of gun safety. Know what the fuck you're shooting. Well, not the first rule. One of the rules of gun safety. Know your target. Know what's beyond your target. The fact that you didn't know you were shooting somebody that wasn't armed tells me right there you should not have been pulling the trigger to begin with. Even though they had just been fired at? Absolutely. You don't get a free pass to just start shooting them. So here's the thing. Here's the thing about it. Okay, so let's look at it this way. You're on SWAT. You're in a group that your job is to not shoot friendlies and take out the hostiles. If you don't know who you're shooting at, then you risk shooting the friendlies. That's a no-go right there. Just having a badge doesn't mean you get to shoot into the darkness without positively identifying who you're shooting at. What if that was your own kid in there? What if there was somebody else in there that you didn't know about that was of import- significant importance? Either way, you're not supposed to be shooting like that. You're supposed to know your target, and if you don't know clearly who you're shooting at, you hold your fucking fire. 
You let the situation calm down until you can get control of it. That's another big issue right there. They didn't use proper judgment in, dis- in discharging their firearms. So they were going after her for the wrong reasons. And they handled the situation in a way that was inappropriate for using lethal force. So had they known who they were shooting at, cool. But you didn't because you shot somebody without a gun. That tells me right there you were in the wrong. Sure. If you didn't clearly identify your target, you're wrong. Period. Full stop. There's no exceptions. Well, we couldn't clearly see and they're shooting at us. Then you back off, take cover, and you wait for things to chill out. Don't just start firing into a crowd. Well, first of all, they're not in a crowd. They're in an apartment. But I mean, you don't fire. It could have, might as well have been so, a crowd. So you don't wait, know who you're shooting at. So wait again. They start shooting. You don't know who's in there. You back off and you say, police, put your guns down, come out with your hands up, some bullshit like that. You don't fire into it unless you know what's going on. If you can't peek into that window and clearly see who's got the gun and who's pointing the gun at you, you don't fire back. If you can, then that's what you should have. But they didn't. That's why she died. Okay. I think if someone's listening to this, I think this. But but, but Dave Smith's point was that particular movement, the Black Lives Matter movement, is probably not in entirety going to be the most receptive to the liberty message. So there's going to so I will say this, let's qualify that. There's different kinds of people within the Black Lives Matter. Agreed, they're all you individuals. Have pe- you have people on the ground who basically they feel the frustration of being mistreated by society, by the government, by the police, and they genuinely have concerns. Now, I disagree with how they're approaching things, sure. but I understand the sentiment. Then you have the corporate, the activist oh level. Oh my god, that's who are the evil people? Sure. So let's just separate. Agreed. So maybe some of them would be uh, potentially people who could come you over. Talk, you talk to them and say, hey, look, we agree. You get mistreated by the city, by the police, and you're not getting a fair shake in, by society in general. We have a solution for you. The activists who know better that they're pimping Marxism, go fuck yourselves. We'll, we'll meet you in the field of battle. Okay. Because we don't have anything in common. If, if anything, go fuck yourself twice. You're the enemy. I think many people would be receptive to that because, we, we, you know, if you look at the creators of Black we, Lives we would Matter let, and the would, houses they've bought. And if anything, the only people we would hold in less contempt are the neocons. And less contempt would be the neocons because the neocons are the ones that actually start fucking wars. They're the only people that we would actually hate even more. Brian, it's been a great episode. We're almost at two hours. Before we wrap things up, at KY Bourbon Snob, is Brian? Actually, I changed it now. It's just Bourbon Snob and Bourbon Snob is both my handle and my title. So okay, yeah. is it? So, I don't know. Look, I'm looking it, at. Is it not at KY now? Bourbon Snob? It's oh, still KY said, Bourbon Snob. Yeah. Yes, I guess K- I did. KY that. Bourbon yes, Snob correct. on Twitter. So if anyone's listening and interested, I don't. I don't get on there very often. Actually, more user. I get. I tend to look more on Twitter. I actually use Facebook more often. So if you see me at you know I'm Brian Fox. I'm on Facebook. If you want to friend me on there, so. I think we're friends on Facebook. I don't know if I see you on there very often or not, but uh, that's where I get on the most. But um, the Mises Caucus group on Facebook—that's where all the action is happening. That's mm. a, it's an open, it's a, it's a, it's a closed group, but anybody can join. You have sure. to answer a few questions, but you can get in there and hear what we're talking about. People who are politically orientated, um, if that's where you want to go to hear more about what's going on get into that group or follow the Mises caucus online, follow Dave Smith on Twitter. You know, that's where you're going to find out a lot more about what we're doing and what we're up to. I haven't said this much lately, but if you're listening, I would like for you to give me maybe an iTunes 
positive five-star review, something like that. If you're enjoying the Kelly Patrick Show, please show me some support through a review on iTunes. That'd be very nice. Uh, before we wrap things up, Brian, anything else you want to mention before? No. Before? Um, we'll do this again soon. I think yeah, this went I great. I think if we want to do uh, you know, a point-by-point review, the actual episode of the roundtable, and just the high- take on the highlights and dissect them more, that'd be great. Also, we're going to have the libertarian, the National Libertarian Conventions coming up in a couple weeks. So that'll be real interesting to discuss the results. Have result, to review you that. Know, exactly. So there's a lot going on, you know, current events we can always discuss. And you know what? We can actually get outside of politics a little bit. I actually enjoy, you know, a little bit of uh, the world of fitness and martial, you know, mixed martial arts, UFC. So love it. We can discuss other things as well, too. So absolutely love it. I want to thank everyone for tuning in to the Kelly Patrick Show. Thank Brian Fox for coming thank on you with for me. me again. Certainly. Uh, it, I ask that you please listen to the read at the beginning of the episode. Send some referrals to me. I'm a health insurance broker anywhere in the United States. I'd love to help you out with your health insurance needs. But thank you very much for tuning in. We will have another episode of The Kelly Patrick Show out soon. Mm-hmm.